Chapter Eleven of Unleavened Bread. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Unleavened Bread by Robert Grant. Chapter Eleven. Who is Doctor Page? Asked Selma of her husband when they left the house. One of our best friends and one of the leading physicians in the city the energy of that man is tireless he is absorbed in his profession the only respite he allows himself are these saturday evenings and his devotion to his little son who has hip disease he told me to-night that he had finished his day's work only just before he came in what do you think of him he likes to tease then he is married he is a widower he seems interested in you he was good enough to say that he thought you needed a wife then he must have admired you selma poor fellow i wish he might have that happiness himself i'll tell you a secret he has desired to marry pauline for years they are devoted friends but until now that is all his wife was an actress a handsome creature two years after they were married she ran away with another man and left him left him with one little boy a cripple on whom he lavishes all the love of his big nature how dreadful yes it is a sad story that was ten years ago he was very young and the woman was very beautiful it had been the making of him though in one way he had the pride and confidence of ability but he lacked sympathy his experience and the appealing presence of his son have developed his nature and given him tenderness he has not been embittered he has simply become gentle and how he works he is already famous in his profession does pauline care for him i don't know her feelings i am sure she is fond of him and admires him i fancy though that she hesitates to renounce her own ambitions as you are aware she is greatly interested in her classes and in matters pertaining to the higher education of women george page knew her at the time of his marriage i do not mean that he paid her serious attention then but he had the opportunity to ask her instead of the other now when she has become absorbed in her life work she would naturally decline to give it up unless she felt sure that she could not be happy without him i would not marry him if i were she said selma he has given his best to the other woman he is the one at fault not pauline why should she sacrifice her own career in order to console him she might love him sufficiently to be willing to do so selma love makes women blind to faults but poor george was scarcely at fault it was a misfortune he made his choice and he was deceived it would be weak of her to give up her own life merely because he is lonely we modern women have too much respect for that love is love and it is not to be trifled with yes love is love murmured littleton and i am happy in mine that is because neither of us have loved before you foolish boy but as to this evening it wasn't at all what i expected are your friends always like that littleton laughed did they seem frivolous to you and undignified then almost they certainly said nothing serious it is their holiday their evening out they have to be serious during the rest of the week busy with problems and cares for they are a set of hard workers the stress of life is so rigorous and constant here in new york that we have learned not to take our pleasure sadly when you have become accustomed to their way you will realize that they are no less serious at heart because they frolic now and then selma was silent for a moment then she said that reminds me have you found out about our next-door neighbors yet 
"'He is a banker named Williams, I believe. "'I saw his wife pass the window this morning. "'She was beautifully dressed. "'They must be rich. "'I dare say. "'But they live in the same style of house as ours. "'Bankers have mysterious ways of making money. "'We cannot compete with those.' "'I suppose not. "'I was thinking that she had the same manner "'as some of your friends this evening, only more pronounced. "'She stopped to speak to someone just in front of the house "'so I could observe her. "'I should think she was frivolous, but fascinating. "'That must be the New York manner, "'and consequently she may be very much in earnest. "'It isn't given to every woman to be attractive all the time "'just because she looks in earnest, as it is to you, dearest. "'But you mustn't be too severe on the other.' On the contrary, I think I shall like Mrs. Williams. She may teach us to be practical. You know that is what your friends would like to have me help you to be, Wilbur. Then they did talk a word or two of sense. They said that. Do you think it is true that you are a visionary? It is your duty to tell me so, Selma, when you think it, just as I have told you that we can afford to laugh now and then. Come, begin. I haven't been your wife for long enough yet. I shall know better by the end of another six months. A fortnight elapsed before Selma made the acquaintance of Mrs. Gregory Williams. It was not a chance meeting. Flossie rang the bell deliberately one afternoon and was ushered in, thereby bridging over summarily the yawning chasm which may continue to exist for an indefinite period between families in the same block who are waiting to be introduced. I said to my husband last night, Mrs. Littleton, that it was ridiculous for us to be living side by side without knowing one another, and that I was going to call. We moved in three weeks before you, so I'm the one who ought to break the ice. Otherwise, we might have stared at each other blankly for three months, looked at each other sheepishly out of the corner of our eyes for another three, half-bowed for six months, and finally, perhaps, reached the stage where we are now. Neighbor should be neighborly, don't you think so? Indeed I do. Of course I knew you by sight, and I felt I should like to make your acquaintance. Selma spoke with enthusiasm. Here was someone whose social deafness was no less marked than Mrs. Hallett Taylor's, and to her mind more brilliant, yet whom she felt at once to be congenial. Though she perceived that her neighbor's clothes made her own apparel seem dull, and was accordingly disposed to be on her guard, she realized instinctively that she was attracted by the visitor. "'That is very nice of you,' said Flossie. "'I told my husband, Gregory, the other day that I was sure you were something literary. "'I mean Mr. Littleton, of course. "'And when he found out that he was, I said, "'We must certainly cultivate you as an antidote to the banking business. "'Gregory's a banker. "'It must be delightful to plan houses. "'This room is so pretty and tasteful. "'It isn't wholly furnished yet. "'We are buying things by degrees, as we find pieces which we like.' "'We bought all our things in two days at one fell swoop,' said Flossie, with a gay laugh. "'Gregory gave the dealers carte blanche. That's his way,' she added with a touch of pride. "'I dare say the house would have been prettier if we could have taken more time. However, it is all paid for now. Some of it was bought on the installment plan, but Gregory bought or sold something in stocks the next week, which covered the furniture and paid for a present. For me, of this besides,' she said, indicating her sealskin cape. Wasn't he a dear? Selma did not know precisely what the installment plan was, but she understood that Mr. Williams had been distinctly clever in his wife's estimation. She perceived that Mrs. Williams had the same light, half-jocular manner displayed by Wilbur's friends, 
and that she spoke with bubbling, jaunty assurance, which was suggestive of frivolity. Still, Wilbur had intimated that this might be the New York manner, and clearly her neighbor had come in a friendly spirit and was duly appreciative of the distinction of being literary. Besides, her ready disposition to talk about herself and her affairs seemed to Selma the sign of a willingness to be truly friendly. The sealskin cape she wore was very handsome, and she was more conspicuously attired from head to foot than any woman with whom Selma had ever conversed. She was pretty, too, a type of beauty less spiritual than her own, with piquant, easy features, laughing, restless gray eyes, and light hair, which escaped from her coquettish bonnet in airy ringlets. If they had met three years earlier, Selma would certainly have regarded her as an incarnation of volatility and servility to foreign fashions. Now, though, she classed her promptly as a frivolous person, she regarded her with a keen curiosity not unmixed with self-distress, and the reflection came to her that a little of the New York manner might perhaps be desirable when in New York. Yes, she said, it's beautiful, referring to the cape. Gregory is always making me presents like that. He gave me this bracelet yesterday. He saw it in the shop window and went in and bought it. Speaking of husbands, you won't mind my saying that I think Mr. Littleton is very distinguished-looking. I often see him pass the window in the morning. Of course, I think so, said Selma. I suppose it would seem flat if I were to say that I admired Mr. Williams' appearance also. The truth is no harm. Wouldn't it be nice if we should happen to become friends? We are the pioneers in this block, but I hear three other houses have been sold. I suppose you own your house. I believe not. We have a lease of it. That's a pity, because Gregory bought ours on a mortgage, thinking the land is sure to become more valuable. He hopes to be able to sell some day for a great deal more than he paid for it. May I ask where you lived before you were married? Selma told her briefly. Then you are almost Western. I felt sure you weren't a New Yorker, and I didn't think you were from Boston. You have the Boston earnest expression, but somehow you're different. You don't mind my analyzing you, do you? That's a Boston habit, by the way, but I'm not from Boston. I've lived all my life in New Jersey, so we are both strangers in New York. That is, I'm the same as a stranger, though my father is a cousin of the Morton Prices. We sent them wedding cards, and they called one day when I was out. I shall return the call and find them out, and that will be the last move on either side, until Gregory does something remarkable. I'm rather glad I wasn't at home, because it would have been awkward. They wouldn't have known what to say to me, and they might have felt that they ought to ask me to dinner, and I don't care to have them ask me until they're obliged to. Do I shock you running on so about my own affairs? Flossie asked, noticing Selma draw herself up sternly. Oh, no. I like that. I was only thinking that it was very strange of your cousins. You are as good as they, aren't you? Mercy, no. We both know it, and that's what makes the situation so awkward. As Christians, they had to call on me, but I really think they are justified in stopping there. Socially, I'm nobody. In this country, we are all free and equal. You're a dear, a delicious dear retorted Flossie, with a caressing laugh. There's something of the sort in the Declaration of Independence, but, as Gregory says, that was put in as a bluff to console sales ladies. Was everybody equal in Benham, Mrs. Littleton? Practically so, said Selma, with an air of haughtiness. 
which was evoked by her recollection of the group of houses on Benham's River Drive into which she had never been invited. There were some people who were richer than others, but that didn't make them better than anyone else. Well, in New York it's different. Of course, everybody has the same right to vote or be elected President of the United States, but equality ends there. People here are either in society or out of it, and society itself is divided into sets. There's the conservative aristocratic set, the smart rapid set, the set which hasn't much money but has knickerbocker or other highly respectable ancestors, the new millionaire set, the literary set, the intellectual philanthropic set, and so on, according to one's means or taste. Each has a little circle which shades away into the others, and every now and then there is a big entertainment to which they all go. I see said Selma coldly. Now, to make it all plain, I will confide to you in strictest confidence that Gregory and I aren't really in any set. We are trying to get a footing and are holding on by our teeth to the fringe of the social merry-go-round. I wouldn't admit it to anyone but you, but as you're a stranger like myself and in the same block, I am glad to initiate you into the customs of this part of the country. Flossie gave a merry toss to her head, which set her ringlets bobbing, and rose to go. "'And in what set are your cousins?' asked Selma. "'If you wish to hear about them, I shall have to sit down again. The Morton Prices belong to the ultra-conservative, solid, stupid, aristocratic set, the most dignified and august of all. They are almost as sacred as Hindu gods, and some people would walk over red-hot coals to gain admission to their house. And really, it's quite just in one way that incense should be burnt before them. You mustn't look so disgusted, because there's some sense in all of it. As Gregory says, it's best to look things squarely in the face. Most of the people in these different sets are somebodies, because either their grandfathers or they have done something well, better than other people, and made money as a consequence. And when a family has made money, or one distinction by its brains, and then has brushed its teeth twice a day religiously for two generations. The members of it, even though dull, are entitled to respect, don't you think so? Selma, who brushed her teeth but once a day, looked a little sharp at Flossie. It makes money of too much importance, and it establishes class distinctions. I don't approve of such a condition of affairs at all. Flossie shrugged her shoulders. I have never thought whether I approve of it or not. I'm only telling you what exists. I don't deny that money counts for a great deal. For as Gregory says, money is the measure of success. But money isn't everything. Brains count, and refinement, and nice honorable ways of looking at things. Of course, I'm only telling you what my ambition is. People have different kinds of bees in their bonnets. Some men have the presidential bee. I have the social bee. I should like to be recognized as a prominent member of the charmed circle on my own merits, and show my cousins that I am really worthy of their attention. There are a few who are able to be superior to that sort of thing, who go on living their own lives attractively and finely, without thinking of society, and who suddenly wake up some day to find themselves socially famous, to find that they have been taken up. That's the best way. But one requires to be the right sort of person, and to have a lot of moral courage. I can imagine it happening to you and your husband, but it would never happen to Gregory and me. We shall have to make money and cut a dash in order to attract attention. And by and by, if we are persistent and clever enough, we may be recognized as somebodies. 
provided there is something original or interesting about us there i have told you my secret and shocked you into the bargain i really must be going but i'll tell you another secret first it'll be a pleasure to be to see you if i may because you look at things differently and haven't a social bee i wish i were like that really like it but then as gregory would say i shouldn't be myself and not to be one's own self is worse than anything else after all isn't it you and your husband must come and dine with us soon after mrs williams had gone selma fell into a brown study she had listened to sentiments of which she thoroughly disapproved and which were at variance with all her theories and conceptions what her friendly frivolous visitor had told her with engaging frankness offended her consciousness and patriotism she did not choose to admit the existence of these class distinctions and she knew that even if they did exist they could not possibly concern wilbur and herself even mrs williams had appreciated that wilbur and her literary superiority put them above and beyond the application of any snobbish artificial social measuring tape yet selma's brow was clouded her thought reverted to the row of stately houses on either side of fifth avenue into none of which she had the right of free access in spite of the fact that she was leading her life attractively and finely without regard to society she thought instinctively of sodom and gomorrah and she saw righteously with her mind's eye for a moment an angel with a flaming sword consigning to destruction those offending mansions and their owners as simple of mammon and contraband to god that evening she told wilbur of mrs williams visit she's a bright amusing person and quite pretty we took a fancy to each other but what do you suppose she said she intimated that we haven't any social position very kind of her i'm sure she must be a woman of discrimination likewise something of a character she's smart so you think it's true what about our social position ours is as good as theirs i fancy oh yes wilbur she acknowledges that herself she admires us both and she thinks it fine that we don't care for that sort of thing what she said was chiefly in connection with herself but she intimated that neither they nor we are the equals of the people who live on fifth avenue and thereabouts she's a cousin of the morton prices whoever they may be and she declared perfectly frankly that they were better than she wasn't that funny you seem to have made considerable progress for one visit i like that you know wilbur i prefer people who are willing to tell me their real feelings at once morton price is one of the big bugs his great-grandfather was among the wise shrewd pioneers in the commercial progress of the city the present generation are eminently respectable very dignified mildly philanthropic somewhat self-indulgent reasonably harmless decidedly ornamental and rather dull but mrs williams says that she will never be happy until her relations and the people of that set are obliged to take notice of her and that she and her husband are going to cut a dash to attract attention it's her secret the cat which she let out of the bag is a familiar one she must be amusing provided she is not vulgar i don't think she's vulgar wilbur she wears gorgeous clothes but they're extremely pretty she said that she called on me because she thought that we were literary and that she desired an antidote to the banker's business which shows she isn't altogether worldly she wishes us to dine with them soon that's neighborly why was it wilbur that you didn't buy our house instead of hiring it because i hadn't the money enough to pay for it 
The Williamses bought theirs, but I don't believe they paid for it altogether. She says her husband thinks the land will increase in value, and they hope some day to make money by the rise. I imagine Mr. Williams must be shrewd. He's a business man. Perhaps he bought and gave a mortgage back. I might have done that, but we weren't sure we should like the location. And it isn't certain yet that fashion will move in just this direction. I have very little, and I preferred not to tie up everything in a house we might not wish to keep. I see. She appreciates that people may take us up at any time. She thinks you're very distinguished looking. If she isn't careful, I shall make you jealous, Selma. Was there anything you didn't discuss? I regard you as the peer of any Morton Price alive. Why aren't you? Far be it for me to discourage such a wifely conclusion. Provided you think so, I don't care for anyone else's opinion. But you agree with her. That is, you consider because people of that sort don't invite us to their houses. They are better than we. Nothing of the kind. But there's no use denying the existence of social classes in this city, and that, though I flatter myself, you and I are trying to make the most of our lives in accordance with the talents and means at our disposal. We are not, and are not likely to become, for the present at any rate, socially prominent. That's what you have in mind, I think. I don't know those people. They don't know me. Consequently, they don't ask me to their beautiful and costly entertainments. Some day, perhaps, if I am very successful as an architect, we may come more in contact with them, and they will have a chance to discover what a charming wife I have. But from the point of view of society, your neighbor Mrs. Williams is right. She evidently has a clear head on her shoulders and know what she desires. You and I believe that we can get more happiness out of life by pursuing the even tenor of our way in the position in which we happen to find ourselves. I don't understand it, said Selma, shaking her head and looking into space with her spiritual expression. It troubles me. It is an American. I didn't think such distinctions existed in this country. Is it all a question of money, then? Do intelligence and purpose count for nothing? My dear girl, it simply means that the people who are on top, the people who by force of success or ability or money are the most prominent in the community, associate together and the world gives a certain prominence to their doings. Here, where fortunes have been made so rapidly and we have no formal aristocracy, money undoubtedly plays a conspicuous part in giving access to what is known as society. But it is only an entering wedge. Money supplies the means to cultivate manners and the right way of looking at things, and good society represents the best manners, and on the whole, the best way of looking at things. Yes, but you say that we don't belong to it. We do in the broad, but not in the narrow sense. We have neither the means nor the time to take part in fashionable society. Surely, Selma, you have no such ambition. I? You know I disapprove of everything of the sort. It, it is like Europe. There's nothing American in it. I don't know about that. The people concerned in it are Americans. If a man has made money, there is no reason why he shouldn't build a handsome house, maintain a fine establishment give his children the best educational advantage, and choose his own friends, so the next generation becomes more civilized. It isn't the best Americanism to waste one's time in pursuing frivolities and excessive luxury, as some of these people do. But there's nothing un-American in making the most of one's opportunities. As I've said to you before, Selma, it's the way in which one rises that's the important thing in the individual equation, and every man must choose for himself what that shall be. My ambition is to excel in my profession, and to mold my life to that end. 
without neglecting my duties as a citizen or a husband if in the end i win fame and fortune so much the better but there's no use in worrying because other people are more fashionable than we of course you speak as though you thought i was envious of them wilbur what i don't understand is why such people should be allowed to exist in this country we are a free people selma i'm a good democrat but you must agree that the day laborer in his muddy garb would not find himself at ease in a fifth avenue drawing-room on that account shall we abolish the drawing-room we are not day laborers not precisely but we have our spurs to win and unlike some people in our respectable but humble station we each have each other's love to give us courage to fight the battle of life bravely i had a fresh order to-day and i have bought tickets for to-night at the theatre 